0: The fountains mingle with the river, and the rivers with the ocean. The winds of heaven mix forever with a sweet emotion. Nothing in the world is single, all things by a law divine. In one spirit meet and mingle, why not I with thine? See the mountains kiss high heaven, and the waves clasp one another. No sister flower would be forgiven if it disdained its brother. And the sunlight clasps the earth, and the moonbeams kiss the sea. What is all this sweet work worth if thou kiss not me? All right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of Straight Talking English, S-T-R-8 English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com. If you search up the Full Context series on Amazon, you will find all the things that i am writing about they are very very strenuously well researched i'm about to move house and i'm packing up all my research books and i'm like okay i did a lot of research for these (laughs) so trust me by the amount i'm gonna have to carry they are good Patreon slash Straight Talking English, every penny helps. You can support the show for as little as a quid a month and it really does make a difference. YouTube, search up Straight Talking English and you can see my face looking back at you. So, the big clue for what I'm going to talk about today, other than the fact it's actually like in the show title, so it's not really much of a surprise, the big clue is that I'm actually going to do a little bit of filming for my YouTube series while I'm holidaying Italy, because the poet was sitting there writing this in Italy. Big clue. E- Italy. that could be Byron, let's <laughs> face it's not. We've got PBS back again, same as last week, Percy Biff Shelley talking about love's philosophy. Now this is, I'm going to get on my soapbox here, you're going to hear me tapping because I'm just googling this, what comes up? when i look for love's philosophy is romantic lovers playful argument someone else says it's very cute it's very simple oh my days look i'm putting it out there like minute three you are wrong it's written on the surface it is cutesy But as I was saying last time, with my digging and the fact I'm becoming a little bit of a poetry conspiracy theorist, he's not happy. He's genuinely not happy. He's not putting it on. Because Percy is in a really bad place when he's writing this in 1818. Content warning, just dropping it now. There is discussions of suicide mental health issues bereavement and miscarriage slash stillbirth if these are things that are likely to ruin your day then just summarize with percy Bysshe Shelley was not happy full stop done move on thank you for listening if you're happy to carry on cool so let's think a little bit about love in the romantic sense romantic as in heart's Flowers, I'm recording this about a week after Valentine's Day, so it's all been hearts and flowers around here. While Shelley is famous for being married to Mary Shelley of Frankenstein fame, he was already married when he met her because PBS is a dirty love rat. it's the only way i could describe it i mean we can be all like romeo and juliet about it but if this was a real person well he obviously was a real person if this is someone that was in your social circle you'd just be like you dirty dog so Shelley fell in love when he was 19 with a 16 year old called harriet westbrook that she knew his little sister so they had this connection he was friends with their family showing up around there and just weeks after her 16th birthday they eloped to scotland real classy real classy her family were surprised Shelley's family were aghast, but as I mentioned last week, he had told them to disown him, so he wasn't bothered at that point. Harriet, from what I can tell, has a good head on her shoulders. She's intelligent, she's charming, she's involved in his politics... But by 1813, two years later, Shelley started disappearing. I need my own space. 1814, they got remarried in an actual church. <laughs> I, I, again, I don't know if this is a legal thing, but whatever. And they had a daughter called I Am. At that point, they sort of were living apart. She got pregnant again with their son, Charles. In the meantime, dirty Percy Shelley has started making friends with Mary Godwin. And 1814, they elope. His actual wife, Harriet, is just sort of chilling there. And she's in like the unenviable position of not really having anything she can do with her life at this point. Like she's now an unmarried mother. And this is Victorian times. That's like the worst. He paid her off. Her dad gave her 200 a year, Shelley gave her 100, but it was wretched. He might have got another boyfriend who was a soldier, but we're not quite sure. Shelley's solution, by the way, is that they all live together in a big, happy, polyamorous family with Mary and Harriet and everyone's happy. And like, okay, polyamory... If you're in a relationship and you have that conversation and that's cool, I have friends who are happy in polyamorous relationships. No shade on Shelly for wanting that. But shade because I like, if my boyfriend ran off, came back and was like, I have a new girlfriend and now we're all gonna live here together, I'd be like, get out, just <laughs> get out. Fortunately um, for Harriet, everything kind of went really really wrong. She wrote a suicide note and completed suicide by drowning herself in the serpentine age 21. So from the start of Shelley's adulthood, his love life has been hectic to say the least. Love for Shelley. And he actually wrote this down in one of his more philosophical tracts called On Love. He actually outlines what love means for him. And love is not necessarily a romantic feeling. It's a deep bond between two objects. It could be two people. It could be a person and a place, a person and an idea, a person and God. But that deep bond is what he's referencing in the poem, Where he's saying the mountains have each other, the divine spirit. And even though he didn't believe it, the divinity he's referring to is the poetic imagination in the same way that Wordsworth is. So it's him and his poetry as well as him and a girlfriend. Cool, right? He ends up in Italy with Mary Shelley. Things have got a little bit too hectic, a little bit too full of debt, as you would expect from a 19-year-old alone in the world. I've, I've been 19, man. It's exactly the same then as it is now. And they end up in Italy. On the surface of it, 1818, everything is quite idyllic. You know, lakes, pasta, pizza... You know, seems quite good, doesn't it? But beneath the surface, Percy was having probably the worst year of his life. It's just a litany of misery. He had a circle of really, really close friends in London. And I mean, like, just friend friends. Who were, like, everything to him. There was a composer and his wife, publisher other poets and they had this really close social circle by moving away to italy he was no longer part of it and he said that fraternal love the love between brothers as it were which i guess would be like sororial if we're talking about the love between women but okay whatever but that's one of the types of love that he refers to in his uh passage on love why can he not be with his friends? Like, if everyone is meant to have a companion, why am I not with these people who are so, so important to me? It's a good question. Again, this is content warning, bit. Bear in mind (laughs) how young Mary Shelley was. She got pregnant. Uh, She became pregnant relatively quick after their marriage and suffered a miscarriage she in fact suffered two miscarriages within a year of um the poem being written so he will have had two miscarriages before this point there's a question and it's raised in the book that has formed a lot of my research on Shelley called Percy Shelley a radical life and I really really recommend it if you want to find out where i'm coming from and maybe do a little bit of your own research into pbs see what you discover about him but there is a very mysterious birth certificate of some of a little girl with an italian first name surname Shelley. there's also a death certificate that follows it shortly after, and the best explanation, and I really, really hope this isn't is that in order to cheer up Mary, Shelley adopted an Italian little girl who then promptly died, and like again, I can't think of much worse. It's like yeah, you know you lost those two children. I found another child, like seriously, seriously, I hope not. I hope it was in a way they were hoping to expand their family in a healthy way. So that could be like, if everything has a partner, and fathers have children, mothers have children, then why don't I? Why have I and my partner had to go through this? Not seeking a scientific answer per se, but more of like void screaming, like why? And It's something that I'm sure many bereaved parents have felt. That emotion of just screaming at nothing this. This trauma led to Mary Shelley developing um, a very, very serious depression. Mm. What would be clinical depression today? And from her diaries, from her letters, they they are bleak. Bleak reading. She was in a very, very dark place. Shelley wanted to be able to help her, but she had put up these, mentally put up these walls in order to deal with her grief. He was getting more and more frustrated because he wanted to help his partner, who he loved so much, but she was so unwell and he couldn't get through to her. If if the mountains kiss the sea... If we have this, every sister flower finds its brother, then why are you not with me? Well, she is with him physically, but she's not with him mentally or emotionally. Is he crying out for her to emotionally connect with him again? Is he desperately lonely because the person he loves is suffering so much? The good news is that after a while she did recover which is awesome for her but it would not be in 1818. The other one and again I feel really bad making flippant comments after I've just been explaining about how horrible everything was for Percy and Mary. The other thing to remember is their sister-in-law lives with them because it's the Georgian era. So, I'm going to be calling Mary's sister Claire. She changed her name by deed poll to be Claire Claremont to be a little bit more interesting. And I can't actually remember what her original name was, but we're going to call her Claire. She'd been with them since they eloped. She'd gone with Mary when they'd ran away, like she'd given up her family to support this couple. And Again, this is a bold move, but I can't, it's a mystery to me. She wrote a letter out the blue to Lord Byron, who, as we've mentioned, is very, very handsome and also somewhat of a Lothario. And this letter said, I like you, Lord Byron. I think you're handsome. Love, your mysterious admirer. P.S. Would you like to come away for a weekend with me of kissing? and byron's like okay cool because byron he doesn't question it and they met up a couple of times and she became pregnant as well some more cynical people think that claire intentionally became pregnant in order to like get herself a poet husband like mary had but on the other hand this is the georgian era and birth control is not a thing so who knows but they give birth claire gives birth to this little girl who is byron's and it ends up being this weird custody battle where neither of them really want to look after her which is rough and byron eventually gets custody this little girl is living with byron in venice And being treated like a princess, a slightly ignored princess, with all the luxuries of life. And Claire writes to Byron and says, okay, then when can I have visitation? When can I see my daughter? And Byron's like, nope, nope, I have custody, goodbye. And Claire's like, no, please. And Byron's like, nope. And they're in the middle of this, not necessarily custody battle, but custody writing of spiteful letters to each other. So, when Shelley's putting pen to paper, he has in one room his wife, who is very unwell, and his sister-in-law, who is going through a custody battle separated from her only daughter. There's no way that couldn't have influenced him. Her letters to Byron are like how can you separate a mother and her child i know you have custody but come on and this intense separation the feeling of everything else being together except you and the object of your love is what comes through claire had actually collaborated and edited some of Shelley's. Stuff and things when he was writing in London. So, the image I always have is she's ranting to Shelley, she's venting about how everything is going down, he's worried about his wife, about what the future holds, he's grieving as well because he very much wanted these children, and that's what's poured out in this poem. It's generally felt to be quite like a flimsy and lightweight Shelley poem. Like there's a lot more tough, serious ones out there. And this one is sort of ignored. So again, this is my... The trend I'm spotting throughout the anthology poems is that they're always minor poems by poets who would later be famous for something else. And honestly, throughout all the scholarship I'm trying to find, there's so much out there on like um, Ozymandias, there's so much out there on Queen Mab, there's so much out there on his other poems, even ones from the same time period. But there isn't anything on this one. It's considered to be sort of like a minor side character like the bartender in EastEnders who's been on it for 35 years and she just pulls pints, you know, Tracy. And that that's what Love's philosophy is. Most of the stuff, if you Google it, is just for GCSE. But I have got now got my campaign of... It's a sad poem. It's a sense of hideous desperation. It's not whimsical. It's not lying about like you know i'm gonna pretend that i uh, believe in god to get with you it's not some plea to get a girl to like him it's the wailing and frustration and loneliness of a man who's not with his support network whose wife's unwell his sister-in-law's involved in a custody battle, who's far from home, who's grieving, and wants to just howl into the wind and at the world. Like, I can't think of any jokes for this one, to be honest. Like, I ramble quite a lot, and I normally tell you a bunch of jokes, but I can't really think of any on this one. Like they're all, ugh, it's just so sad. Oh my days! Like, all right all right, all right, all right, all right. I've got to think of something funny. Got to think of something funny. I can tell you about. I saw a pelican. Trying to fit a fish bigger than it in its mouth when I was on holiday in Australia. This pelican was swimming in a circle around Sydney Harbour, around Circular Quay, with a fish bigger than it. It couldn't eat it because it was so huge. It couldn't drop it because it was in a harbour. It couldn't share it because it was too big. So instead, it swam around and around, looking confused. Where did he get it from? We don't know. Where was he going? No one can tell. And that is the note I shall finish this on because I felt like we had to do something funny or random, guys, after that misery fest. Alright, STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com. Full Pontex series on Amazon, YouTube, search me up. I've nearly done the Ozamandias video. That'll be up soon. And asto- Patreon slash Straight Talking English. Little's as pound a month. You can support what I do. And as I've mentioned, I'm moving house, peeps. I've got to get them cardboard boxes. All right, guys, I will speak to you next week. Have a good one.